Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is episode seven. Our failures, our injuries are our greatest teachers and our greatest allies in our spiritual, mental, and emotional growth. Taking the lessons that are presented to us when we aren't like meeting what we think we should be and using that as food for growth. Thanks for everybody for listening and for sharing it with your friends. It's been a really fun journey recording this podcast and it's still in its infancy. And my favorite part has been being able to connect with such incredible people. And in this week's episode, I'm recording from Boulder, Colorado. And I lived in Boulder, Colorado for about eight years. And it was a really special place where I figured out who I wanted to be. And I was surrounded by people that were supportive of my dreams of becoming a professional athlete. Thanks to everybody who has gone on Patreon and who has also pitched in and got a pair of the effing magical unicorn socks, which you can be found in the show notes. They're only available for about another week. So if you know anyone who likes unicorns, I get a little bit of kickback, which I'm actually putting into the podcast to help develop it and make it even better for you guys. Today's interview is with a guy who I find really inspirational and who has had a strong impact in my life. His name is Rob Loud and he is a yoga instructor here in Boulder, Colorado. People ask me how I stay positive all the time with all the different things that I do in bike racing and in my life. And it comes from years of personal work and practice through yoga, self-awareness and meditation. Yoga started out as a physical practice for me, but when I connected with Rob and some of the other local yoga instructors in Boulder, it became a deeply spiritual practice on learning how to deal with perfectionism and fear of not being good enough. I was so hard on myself and I didn't really like myself and being able to connect on a path to self-discovery through yoga, it really helped me become who I am today. It's helped me create space between thoughts and feelings and continual life lessons of acceptance of how things are today instead of what I wish they could be. So as I said, Rob is a yoga instructor in Boulder, but his story is unique and courageous. Rob transformed from someone who struggled for many years with drug and alcohol addiction and hitting rock bottom where his life was even in danger into a person and teacher who transmits so much positivity and great change in the world through his work as a yoga instructor. In Rob's classes, he always has an insightful message on cultivating mindfulness and self-discovery both on and off the yoga mat. There's always a fun, lighthearted element to his demeanor and asana practice. His classes can also be really challenging and allow space to grow as a yoga practitioner. He also loves cycling and rides his bike regularly. And if you're not somebody who's into yoga, I still think that there would be some great value in this podcast because it's really about how you take the life lessons you learn in yoga into your daily life so that you can deal with anything that comes your way. Rob emphasizes the transformative power of the breath that was the keystone for working with his personal suffering. All of us suffer from something in our lives on a daily basis. It can be anything from sitting in traffic to relationship problems to maybe suffering on your bike in a race. And having the tools to accept and grow from a space of suffering is what the yoga practice can teach us and what it's taught me. 
some of us never take an intentional breath in our lives. And that was a big thing that I learned in yoga was how to really fully breathe and how to use that breath off the mat to create the space in between these emotions and the story that we tell ourselves. It's been awesome. Rob's yoga classes also delve into discomfort and how to accept it on the mat in relationships and beyond. And Rob really emphasizes that breath is what saved his life. It was a real treat to get to spend some time with Rob. I really enjoyed this conversation and getting some one-on-one time with him to just talk to him instead of being in a hurry before and after yoga. So I hope that you guys enjoyed this conversation. I think that there's a lot of value in it and hey, maybe you'll even be getting on the yoga mat after you listen to this. I bring you Rob Loud. Hey Rob. Hi, how are you? Welcome to the little place I'm staying in, but it's awesome to be back in Boulder. And it was great to go to one of your yoga classes the other day. I actually have all your yogadownload.com classes and I do them at home in Kelowna. Well, it's good to see you and psyched you're here, psyched to be here. Yeah, it's so beautiful. It's so sunny and the birds are chirping, like Colorado sunshine. It's like your your perfect Boulder day outside today. Yeah, so you're from Boulder, right? Um, I am, well, I raised, not born. I moved to Boulder in 76, so I was four. I'm from Boston originally, but got here when I was young, and I've been here ever since. Cool. What's your favorite thing about living here? I would say just the amount of space and um, lots of open space and just the lifestyle, everything that I've always loved to do, all of my favorite hobbies. I feel like the best of the best people are here doing what I love to do. And so, yeah, I haven't found any good reason to leave yet. That's good because yeah. I know I can come back and come to exactly. your classes. Yeah. So yeah, like you're just such an extraordinary and special, not just yoga instructor, but I feel like a life instructor mm. on trying to not only help people find themselves through yoga, but find themselves in their, their daily life. And your yoga classes have been so powerful because all the things that I love to talk about, having a sense of humor, sitting with discomfort, these are all lessons that you can take out of yoga. And like, how did you get into yoga? I guess sort of long story short is, you know, I, I kind of found yoga largely on a whim, actually. I was working out at a gym downtown and I kind of was just like, I want to check this out and just maybe cross train a little bit. And so I jumped into my first class and it really kicked my butt physically. Like they, I thought it was going to be just super easy. I was like, oh, yoga, you know, we'll, we'll give this a try. And, and really had my butt handed to me in this class. And so there was this aspect that just caught my eye right away. Like, oh, this is not just an easy thing to do. I thought it was just going to be like stretching or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. So that was kind of just on a whim, but also at that point in my life too, I recognized pretty quick after just not too many classes, I had been, you know, just sort of suffering a lot in my life. You know, I had lots of issues growing up my entire life with addiction, with depression, with anxiety. I used to get fairly regular panic attacks. And so I recognized sort of the correlation between breath, like the breath that was being cued in the yoga classes, and sort of what my doctors were telling me every time I was having some sort of a episode, which they always said, breathe, you got to breathe, you're not breathing. And I was like, 
well, I have to be breathing, otherwise I would be dead. I would kind of get frustrated with my doctors, but I saw a correlation between breath and just well-being or what I was being told to do. And so, you know, I just started going once a week regularly for maybe like the first year. In that first year, I would say the benefits that I started to find mentally and emotionally were huge. And so really pretty quickly it became less about the physical practice and how hard it was, but more about, you know, just knowing that there was an opportunity to potentially find some peace of mind in my life. And so that's how it started. And then, you know, life continued to happen and, and you know, lots of other sort of hard life, life lessons were being presented to me. You know, I kind of was still a little bit more or less in the throes of drug and alcohol addiction while I was practicing yoga. And so that was ultimately, you know, obviously very short story of it, but that's what led me to teaching yoga was just kind of having my entire life fall apart, largely my own fault, but it was through this sort of process of having my life deconstruct that allowed me to sort of lean more into the practice of yoga and eventually start teaching. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, I think the most extraordinary thing about that is that there's a lot of people that do struggle with alcohol, depression, drugs, but they don't know how to help themselves. Like they're just in this cycle and the cycle of I'm never doing that again and then it happens again. Yeah. So how did you actually use yoga and going to the gym and those things to create that change that stuck? Well, I think, you know, when you do, when you are kind of in that cycle of addiction with whatever it is, you know, when you do decide to start to make a change, which a lot of people do, and unfortunately a lot of people don't do, um, kind of find their way out. But what you do find when you make lifestyle changes and quit something that's not working for you anymore, you have a lot of extra time on your hands. And when you have an addictive personality or you're a lot of time on your hands is not a good thing to have. And so basically, at first, really just filling that gap with something to keep me occupied and sort of distracted from everything else and really, you know, and also just growing physically strong again, you know, like getting your physical health back, I think is kind of the first step. And really everything in yoga moves from the most physical of your experience. So, you know, you're your surroundings, your physical body, everything that's very physical and, and you sort of move towards the most subtle realms of who you are. And so you start with the physical form, you start getting more healthy in mind, in body, and then you that kind of translates into a little more mental discipline and emotional stability. And so that's really you know, what I was doing was just trying to keep myself occupied with something that was healthy as opposed to something that's, you know, not so healthy. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of, that's kind of the idea at first is to just keep myself busy. I mean, I did go to Alcoholics Anonymous. So I've had a long history when I was, I did quit drinking one time in my early twenties. Like when I was just, my life was completely unmanageable and I didn't know what to do. And luckily my mom did. She also had problems with addiction and she, one day I was kind of just, I thought I was 
kind of a done deal. I didn't, you know, I was just at the bottom and her husband brought me to an AA meeting and I didn't know what I was doing there. I was just like, I'll do anything at this point. I did that. Like I ended up, you know, staying sober for about seven years and really just sort of white knuckling it, I guess. I rode my bike, but I didn't have a lot of other things other than like the gym and stuff like this. And in that process, those seven years before yoga, I actually did a lot of martial arts. So that was one of the kind of the precursor to me finding yoga was I started training Brazilian jiu-jitsu in, in Muay Thai. So it's like a kickboxing. So I was doing that and I found that the physical, what I was doing in that martial arts sort of training was a lot more effective for me than just going to meetings and sitting there and listening to other people. And so I did that for a good while. And I would say I got pretty strong physically and somewhat mentally, but I was still pretty unstable. And like, um, I would say on some level and it very subtly at this point, you know, just kind of a little mentally ill, I guess. And so I was kind of going, doing okay, you know, better than I was before, relatively speaking, but I ended up going to Thailand to train and I went there for six months. And while I was there, I was like, you know, I feel like I'm a changed person. And I started drinking again while I was there and it was, it was okay. I mean, I, I made it, you know, it was, it was not ideal, but I was like, oh, I got this, whatever. Came back to Boulder after six months and soon thereafter, not that far after I was without even realizing it in my head, I was already back to where sort of I was before. And it's a tricky thing, addiction and mental sort of illness. Um, I think they go hand in hand. Oh, they know? definitely like, do. Just not drinking isn't enough. Yeah. You have to treat the other part of your soul. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And so, and you know, I didn't get that. I mean, that was sort of, I was like, if I'm strong in my body, I'm doing okay. But, you know, fast forward just a little bit, I ended up having a large scale sort of falling apart where I got into a car accident. I was working at a job that required that I drove and I lost my job like well one fell swoop one day I lost my job my girlfriend left me went to jail because I got into a car accident I was driving while I was drunk and and that was like it was very traumatic it was like one of the lowest points of my life I've had a few bottoms but and they're really actually bottoms are, are great places to be because it's like you have an opportunity to sink or swim and and I found myself just like with nothing and at that point I really just that's when I started leaning into the practice a lot I had been practicing I'd say a little more like I don't know I don't want to say fair weather but it was kind of more sporadic and so I found myself with a a lot of time on my hands I didn't have a job I was on house arrest didn't have any money. And so I went to a lot of yoga. I went to yoga every day. And in fact, the sheriff's department in Boulder gave me permission with my kind of GPS on my ankle. So they were keeping track of where I was. And I said, if I'm out looking for jobs, can I do a yoga class? And the guy was like, kind of scratched his head. And <laughs> I remember the look on his face. He was kind of like, I, I guess, I don't see why not. And so I was just at the yoga studio taking classes 
And that's all I was doing. I started kind of cleaning around the studio, working the front desk, and just being a part of the community because they were all, everybody at yoga, much like people in martial arts are working to better themselves. And I needed to be around that. And so I went a lot and it was like months and months and months of not being able to find work, not having any money. I ended up having to move back in with my mom, which was sort of, you know, a blow for me. I'm an adult in my mid thirties and having to move back in with my mom, she was very gracious. And in this process of not having anything. So externally, if you were to look at my life, it would look like I didn't have a lot, you know, I didn't have a lot going for me, but practicing as much as I did and regularly every day, I felt better than I had ever felt in my life before. I felt like amazing and so what was it about it that made you feel amazing um you know it was just really connecting with my breath connecting with my breath is ultimately the key to what has changed my life the most in practicing now nine years of yoga is my ability to regulate and find equanimity and peace in things such as this through controlling my own breath so like panic attacks and things like this you're not breathing. You're not breathing at all. You're not even aware of your breath. And generally it's very shallow and your body goes into just this fight or flight sort of response when there's nothing to fight or flight about, you know? And so that's ultimately what it was. And just breathing deeply every day in practice and trying to do my breath work, even when I wasn't in a yoga class, but focusing my attention on my breath as much as I could every hour of every day you know, changed my life completely. I was able to wean myself off of all of the medications I had ever been on because I was on a lot of medications and it was, to me, it wasn't even the lesser of two evils. I needed something. I was definitely not in a good place at all. And with regular practice and using my breath, I was in working with my doctor, I was able to, you know, slowly taper off of any and all drugs that were keeping me regulated. Mm -hmm. And I was able to do it myself. And, and since that point, I've never had to be on medication again. I mean, I feel like that's something of the past. In fact, I don't, I haven't had a panic attack. I rarely get anxious. You know, even depression, I'm not depressed anymore. Even on some of my worst days now, they're like the best days I had when, you know, back in the mm -hmm. day. And so I could tell that what I was doing is what I needed to do just for my health and sanity. And then a light bulb went off. I couldn't find work. I was looking everywhere. I couldn't find even a job as a cashier or anything. And that's also hard to do when you don't have a driver's license and things such as this. But a light bulb went off and I was like, man, if I could make yoga part of my career, it would be win-win for me. It would be win-win for the world. I would have to show up and practice every day. In fact, that would be part of my job. And so that was how it was all, like my teaching, how it was all born was just this realization that if I taught yoga, I would never stop practicing yoga. And I knew that that's what I needed to do and, and still do. I continue, I practice every day. I would say, I prioritize my own personal practice above everything else that I do in my life because without it, you know, I know how things can get and, you know, not that I think that I would go back there ever again, but it's that important to me. And I know that there's so many other people out there 
that are going through something similar and, you know, suffering is suffering, whatever it is. And so my ability to even just maybe plant a seed or touch one person can have the same profound, yoga can have the same profound effect on them as it did for me. You know what I mean? So I know this going into any class that I teach that I have an opportunity to change somebody's life completely, give it a 180 degree turnaround. And I know that I've done that now. I've been teaching for seven years now. And I get emails and letters from people years later that say, you don't even know like what you said one day in this class and how it changed the trajectory of my life. And so now, you know, I do practice for myself, but I do know that in just doing my own work, I have a profound effect on everybody or have the opportunity to have a profound effect on anybody that comes to my class or not even anybody that comes to my class, anybody that I have a conversation with, you know what I mean? Yeah, that passion is really evident in your classes. And I think something that's really special is that a lot of yoga teachers, it seems like they kind of get burnt out a little bit over the course of many years of teaching. And it would be hard to stay relevant and stay kind of motivated to show up and not be on autopilot anymore. So it's really evident in your classes. But back to some things that you said, whenever you were at your bottom, you actually decided to take the steps to put yourself around people that are going to support you. And that's such an important thing in life that like you can't spend time with people that drag you down. And it's it's hard to sometimes it's really hard to cut those people that are, you know, quote, toxic out of your life and surround yourself with supportive people. And I know for me, that's been really helpful too in my career, like just putting people around me that believe in me and that are doing the same things and on the same journey is helps you move forward in that direction. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I had to, you know, unfortunately, lots of people that I used to hang out with and grow up with when I started making changes and because I did it because I knew that if I didn't, I was going to die at some point. It was pretty bad, but having to like separate myself from people that I used to be very close with was hard. It is hard. And, you know, I feel like there was quite a few people out there that sort of took offense or maybe to what I was doing or took it personally, I guess, which it, you know, obviously had nothing to do with them and everything to do with what I was going through. But, but yeah, it was kind of, that was something I realized too, was I needed to be around people that wanted to do good for themselves as well. And, yoga and martial arts that's what I found in yoga you know when I started showing up and the owners of the yoga pod where I teach you know they knew about my history with addiction and they like they kind of watched me like when I got into that whole car accident thing you know I didn't show up for yoga for two weeks they were like oh where's Rob you know I ended up filling them in but they were like you know what, you don't need to pay, you don't need to do anything, just keep coming, you know what I mean? And it's people like that that made the difference for me because, you know, they could have just been like, sorry or whatever, but they knew what I know now is that, you know, if you keep showing up, good things are gonna happen. If you, Patabi Joyce, practice and all is coming is one of his famous quotes. And so I surround myself around people that are, trying to do good for themselves so that I can do the same for me. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. I know personally for me, like my journey with yoga, I haven't spoken about it recently, but I used to be just incredibly hard on myself and I didn't like myself. I was insecure and I was afraid to fail because what does that mean about who I am? And I was just 
always, because whenever you're growing up, um, there's a great book by Carol Dweck called Mindset, and it's about fixed versus growth mindset. And whenever we reward people for their results instead of their hard work, it sets up this perfectionist complex where people are afraid because they're only awarded or rewarded with positive praise when they're doing something that's perfect. Right. Instead of rewarding somebody for their process and mm -hmm. for their hard work. And my whole life growing up, it's like I was the top in school, I was the top in band, I was used to just being this hyper overachiever. And when I moved to Boulder for grad school, I had, it's nothing your bottom was, but I wasn't as good as I was in school. And I got two B's and a B minus my first semester of grad school. And in grad school, that puts you on academic probation. So I went from being at the top to somebody having to sign a paper to not kick me out of grad school. And it was my first year racing pro and I was used to winning races and I was almost last at all the races I did. And I would cry in my bike races while I was racing because I wasn't good enough. And yoga, I started going because I thought, well, like I want to look like some, it was like really superficial or I need to stretch like I'm, I'm a cyclist. I ended up finding it was so profound and, and there was a lot of spiritual healing that would go on. And yoga was kind of like therapy for me where... I would go and I'd be moving my body and using my breath, but I would specifically choose instructors like yourself that really use yoga as radical healing if you're open to that. And I think that it's really important for people that when they go to yoga to realize it's not just about moving your body, it's about connecting with yourself and it's about being able to take those lessons off the mat into your daily life because ultimately, that makes all of us better human beings, not only for ourselves, but the way we show up in the world and the way that we affect other people in our lives becomes just an amazing ripple effect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I will just say, you said my bottom was nothing like yours, <laughs> but a bottom is a bottom nonetheless. I think you can't really, you know, label suffering as suffering is suffering. And, and we're all, every one of us are going through it on some level. And so I think, yeah, yoga is one, it's very counterintuitive. A lot of the wisdom that we kind of bring forth in yoga and study, it's really counterintuitive to what we're often taught in our society in particular, which is being less competitive and meeting yourself where you are today and embracing your imperfections and recognizing that it is the journey. It's not the end result of the work that you're doing, yes, if you win a race, awesome, but really life is all of the preparation. You know what I mean? It's the preparation, it's the journey, you know? So a lot of things that I'll speak for myself that I thought to be true growing up, which was my power was a result of what I wore or how good I was at something or how much I had and, and my self-worth was based on other things, you know, and that's just not true. And it's something that you come to realize when you start doing this internal work. We do start, like I said, we start from the most external of our experience, our surroundings, the house we live in, our relationships with others, our physical body. But then we start to move inward and we have these great opportunities when we practice because our focus is on the breath. And so... What we attempt to do when we practice is to take our attention away from whatever our mind is telling us, our to-do list, everything that we have going on in our life, past and present. We reel our attention in to the moment, so the immediate experience that we're having, and we attempt to keep our attention there 
for an extended period of time. And what happens when you do this is you start to, because you are less distracted in your headspace, you're able to sort of start to witness what you're telling yourself, such as I'm not good enough or I should be doing this or, you know, these little patterns that we pick up as young people and sort of carry with us throughout our life. And this information isn't always based in truth. It's stuff that we learn from our parents, from friends at school, church or whatever it is, we start to, and so once we start to become aware of what our patterning is, like what it is that we're telling ourselves and what it is that we're actually doing in our life, because a lot of the things we tell ourselves and do, we're not even aware of. It's sort of like, we just believe it's real because it's what our mind is telling us. But once we're able to sort of find that stillness, even for just a moment and pay attention, then we can start making changes, more internal changes. Yes, external changes such as quitting drinking and things like this, it's where we start, but then we start to go to the more subtle realms of ourself. And it isn't until we become aware of what we're doing that we can actually make changes in our life. And you can get the same sort of a thing with a therapy session. The thing about yoga is it's, you have to be honest and objective with yourself when you're doing it and really, ask yourself, okay, is this true? What it, you know, and if it's not, you start to slowly and incrementally make changes, whether it's bringing your attention to something else or saying things differently in your head, but even things like that are a practice, just like practicing asana. If you want to get good at warrior two, you have to show up and do warrior two over and over again. As you know, a mountain bike, a competitive mountain biker, you have to train, you have to ride, you have to practice. And same with the subtle aspects of yoga. It's practice. You have to, you have to do it to get good at it, but it's just slow and steady progress. You don't need to make changes in your life and you got to recognize that you're not, we're not flawed because of, you know, we're, we're all perfectly imperfect. It's just making changes. And really the wisdom of yoga is specific, very specific to who you are what you've been through in your life, all the traumas, all the good and bads, and what you're going through currently. And, and yeah, so basically stuff that is very, for me anyways, when I started doing it was very counterintuitive. I had to sort of untrain myself from what I thought I already knew. And I'm, I still have a long ways to go. I mean, I am leaps and bounds ahead of where I was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. But I know that this is a process and a journey, and so I'm not trying to rush. I'm just slowly looking at myself day to day and asking myself, okay, is this working for me? What can I do differently? And then, and also the good thing is, is yoga is really about embracing change ultimately. Like the greatest universal truth out there is this too shall pass. And so it's understanding that everything that you go through, good, bad, and ugly, comes and goes, you know what I mean? And so when you start to get this idea of impermanence and change on a deep level, it really lightens the load as to what you're doing in your current experience in your life, you know, knowing that the good things and the bad things are gonna change. And once you start to make friends with the aspect of change, some days you feel on, some days you don't, and you're just, it's radical self-acceptance for where you're at today. You don't like stop having goals and aspirations, but you truly attempt to just be okay with where you're at, even if where you're at right now doesn't look and feel like you think it should. In fact, I would say most people 
their lives don't look and feel exactly like they should. You know, we're a society of sort of discontent people, I think, on a lot of levels due to just circumstances that are often beyond our control, such as media and advertisement and things such as this. We think this stuff is true, but it's really a way in which, well, I feel, a way in which to make people feel less than so that they need more stuff. You know, it's the way in which our sort of capitalism is run, you know, making <laughs> making people just feel like they need things to feel whole. Yeah. And to me, that's and that's false information. I think we have inside of us everything we need to feel whole and complete and happy in our life. You know what I mean? If we choose to keep our attention on what is good and true, I think. Yeah, and I think back to what you were saying about your thoughts. Like, your thoughts create feelings and stories. And for me, like... I've developed a meditation practice, but yoga was my initial meditation and I, I learned how to breathe in yoga and I would take the breathing outside off the mat. And I remember specifically a story where I was in Brazil for a race and I had like missed my flight and I, it was, everything was super crazy. People were freaking out all around me. And I took a very intentional two minutes and I just did some deep breathing saying, everything's gonna be okay. Things are out of my control. And my bike actually never made it to the race. So I went all the way to Brazil and I couldn't even race. Oh my God. <laughs> it was crazy. But in situations like that, there's been some other traumatic situations in my life where I just went back to the breath. And instead of letting all these crazy thoughts and stories swirl around in my brain, I just tried to feel my entire body breathe. And yeah. I think that that's really powerful. And if people don't want to actually do the physical practice of yoga, just developing a meditation practice where you can just, it's not about being perfect. It's not about making thoughts go away. It's just being able to recognize your breath and recognize what you're thinking. And I think in yoga, there's definitely a lot of emphasis on that. Oh yeah. Yeah. In fact, that's sort of the path like in yoga it really moves from the asana, which is the physical practice, the poses that we go through. If you go to just a class in a public class, but Really, that's what we do in yoga. The movement aspect of it and the postures are technically there to prepare us to be able to meditate, you know, and that's exactly sort of the way that the path of yoga goes because, you know, once you start to open your body up, you're able to sit still more comfortably because it's hard to sit comfortably when you're strong in your hips and your back and things such as this. So you have to find, be, to meditate, you have to be able to sit comfortably and if you're really strong and uncomfortable anyways you can always sit on a pillow or sit on a chair or something like this but ultimately that's what the practice of yoga that we see prevalent in our society is in preparation for is becoming more still sitting and just breathing and paying attention to your breath and your thoughts or maybe not paying attention to your thoughts ultimately trying to just observe your thoughts you said you something yeah because it's not you're not trying to silence your mind or anything like that like you alluded to you're really trying to change your own relationship with your existing thoughts you know and then you can be the arbiter of whether a thought is serving you whether it's based in truth whether it's real and then you can from that point make the next best decision for you and the people around you. You know what I mean? You have clarity and what tends to happen is you just make more conscious choices that are going to benefit everybody around you. And so trying to, yeah. So. 
Yeah, and I want to talk about discomfort, and I don't want to call it negative feelings because negative is just a word that we assign to things, but discomfort, being uncomfortable. In yoga, when you're in horse pose or a chair or, or whatever, like your legs are burning and like you're, maybe you don't want to hold your arms up anymore. And same with like sports, like you're out there and it hurts, like especially endurance sports. Yeah. And then taking it away from physical movement altogether, just being just uncomfortable in your own body because of things going on in your life, uncomfortable emotions. What advice would you give our listeners to how to not, because a lot of times we say, oh, just like pretend that they're not there, but mm-hmm. we can't pretend that those emotions don't exist. So how do we sit with those emotions and how do we dismiss those emotions later? Well, it's practice. Um, I think like mindfulness is, well, a word that's kind of thrown out there, but really what mindfulness, and that's what yoga for me is all about. It really is a practice in mindfulness, but it's this practice of allowing yourself to fully experience whatever it is that's happening, whether it be pain, whether it be tightness, whatever it is, any sort of discomfort that you may be feeling. Other end of that same coin is pleasure in things such as this. It's the same thing, just the opposite end of the same coin, but it's really practicing accepting where you're at. Acceptance is not easy, as we all know, but accepting right where you're at, being very non-judgmental, attempting not to label sensations such as pain as good or bad, but really trying to just become intimately close with whatever discomfort is coming up. And to go back to, you know, this too shall pass. It's recognizing that when you don't hone your attention in on that pain or on that sensation and just label it as bad and keep your attention there, things will pass. So like, yes, you'll be with something. And if you're not attaching too heavily to what that is, things will just come and go. So it's very counterintuitive, but really it requires practice and just being with what is, whether it's good or bad. So on the other end of the spectrum, where if you have really good sensation, it would be not holding on too tightly or not becoming addicted to that good sensation. The other end of the coin is just not resisting pain or discomfort, but really trying to find that midline and just being with what is. And that really is the practice. And The thing about practicing asana or the yoga postures is, like you said, horse pose, utkatasana, chair pose, not comfortable, but the more you get in there and do it and sit in these uncomfortable poses and allow yourself to be with that discomfort, because the discomfort in chair pose, yeah, it's hard, but it's not like there's a lot grander scale of discomfort that we can feel, but when we do practice just being at peace within these challenging postures it has a direct translation to being able to find that same sense of peace and equanimity when the ante is up when you're dealing with bigger pain or when you're dealing with loss in your life or whatever it is like these little mini victories that we find in our yoga practice have a direct relationship to how we react or respond when bigger things like when life hands us bigger things you know what i mean and so that's sort of i've heard it said practicing yoga is like playing the scales for the concerto that is your life you know so it's sort of like this little microcosm of our life because what we do in our yoga practice and what we do 
how we react to discomfort in yoga and how we react to discomfort outside of yoga is one and the same. And so that's where the awareness comes in. You start to become aware of where your mind goes when your buttons are being pushed. And can you find peace there? Some days it's easy, some days it's not, but that's why we practice. That's why we show up consistently and do this work is for that reason. And ultimately, you know, I feel like yoga in a lot of ways, if you were to boil it down is learning how to suffer with more grace and simply put, you know what I mean? Learning how to suffer and be with discomfort and pleasure and how you relate to both of those things. Yeah, I think the oscillatory nature of our energy and of our attachment to things that are happening to us is important to realize that, yeah, impermanence and things change. And I know I've learned that from bike racing because like when you race your mountain bike for 100 miles, there are some moments where you're absolutely killing it. And then there are some really dark moments where you want to quit the race altogether. And you could even be winning a race and want to quit. And I think yoga has helped me a lot because there's been moments where I'm attached to the results. Like I'm winning the race, I'm attached to that. Or like say you're at your job and you're killing it that day and you're just so attached to the outcome of what you're doing and reminding yourself that that even isn't permanent. And mm -hmm. that just, it's gonna ebb and flow. And likewise, when things are low and you're at a low point, realizing that you're not stuck there forever. And as much as it seems like you will be, because when you're in those places, sometimes it feels insurmountable to get back out but it will change you know one way or the other and so you're exactly right yeah yeah just having like a patience with yourself whether it be good bad or ugly just being patient and knowing that things are going to continue moving along yes patience is a virtue and <laughs> it doesn't come easily and that's another thing that i think one of the many gifts that have has been imparted onto me through this practice is being more patient in my life in big and small ways and just trusting in the process. And yeah, that's, it's not easy. Trust isn't easy either. You know, when you're in those places, it's like, but it is true that whatever it is you're experiencing will change, you know? And so that's sort of the thing to get on a big level and to just become, make is good of friends with change as possible, which is hard because we're all creatures of habit. We don't want things to necessarily change. But when you start to realize that that is just an unavoidable fact of life, it makes life that much easier. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think something that you say in your classes a lot, you say the most important part, you'll have to phrase it the right way is Take those corners of your right. mouth and, and yeah, yeah. yeah you say it how you well, say it. Well, I just it. say, if you want to up-level this pose, turn the corners of your lips up, which basically is just saying, if you can smile in a challenging pose, you're doing pretty good in your life. And we all have the power to smile in any pose we find ourselves in, whether it's in horse pose, whether it's in rush hour traffic, whether it's in our relationship woes or whatever, even on the darkest of days, you can smile and I've done it, you know what I mean? And it's not easy, but that is true power right there is being able to, and I also say a lot sense of humor. I mean, the ability to find a lightheartedness in, in even things that aren't necessarily viewed as lighthearted is very up-leveled yoga to me. I feel like good gauge of where you're at spiritually is where your sense of humor is at in life in general. You know what I mean? And so I always say in my classes, three priorities. First, breath, number one, because it's had the biggest impact on my life thus far. Two, sense of humor. It's a strength beyond measure. 
three, third priority are, are the poses themselves. And it's always less important that you get into a pose. It's what you're learning about yourself in the experience that you're having in that moment. That is the most important part. And the bonus is you get open hamstrings and strong shoulders over time, but really <laughs> the physical aspect to me of yoga is just an added bonus to everything else that happens. You know what I mean? Our health is not going to be here forever. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, just being able to appreciate where you're at and at any given moment in your life. And even on hard, challenging days, which we all have and all are going to continue to have, there's still a lot of blessings and awesomeness out there in the world if we allow our attention to see that. Yeah, I think having a playful attitude towards things. So like in yoga, if you're in a pose and you fall out, like I bet you see people reacting in different ways oh, yeah. when they're in a pose. Like some people think like they just smile and like, oh, I tried and whatever, yeah. I'll just get right back in. And other people are so hard on themselves and exactly. they're upset. So I think that having that playfulness in your life, just when things happen, just trying to look at it in a way that's a little bit more lighthearted. Yeah. It's okay if you fall down. It's okay if things don't go the way that you thought. All you have to do is smile, take a few deep breaths, and just keep going. Get back up and keep going. Yeah, I say that often in my classes too, is falling is part of the practice. And falling out of a pose is just a metaphor for falling on your face in life, which, you know what I mean? And so falling is part of the practice. Getting up is the most important part and not allowing yourself to be discouraged in your life by your seeming failures. Our failures, our injuries are our greatest teachers and our greatest allies in our spiritual, mental, and emotional growth. Taking the lessons that are presented to us when we aren't like meeting what we think we should be and using that as food for growth, you know what I mean? And that's the thing is it's just all about slow, steady, evolution. And as I think we all know, growth in one's life, growth in one's yoga practice is not a linear, clean line that goes <laughs> up. You know what I mean? It's got ups, downs, backs, forth, circles, you know what I mean? And so, but so long as you're gradually working on just getting a little bit better. And that's the thing I think about our, our society too, is we are What's the word when you want something right away? We want immediate satisfaction. Yeah, immediate satisfaction. In, instant gratification. Instant gratification. <laughs> We're a society of that. And, and so, so many people show up to yoga or whatever it is they're doing in their life and they don't see results on their first yoga class. And they're like, this sucks. I'm out. <laughs> but really, you got to recognize that it isn't... The work we're doing, hopefully, you're doing the work less for the end result of the work that you're doing, but truly for the love of the work itself. You know, doing the work because you can feel. Even when your heart, like when you're in a race and your heart rate is up or when you're in a yoga pose and, and it's hard and it's challenging, that's what it feels like to be alive. It's like having that experience, you know what I mean? And yeah, I think that was something that I definitely contended with. I think most people who first show up to yoga are competitive, are all of these things, are frustrated when they fall out of poses. But if you can keep showing up regularly, like for me, the first year, it was once a week. I was just like, oh, I'm gonna show up once a week. And the effects of just consistently showing up once a week were immense. And so I've gotten to a point now where I trust where I'm at in my life, even when things aren't going my way, which happens quite often, you know, but I do have this 
underlying faith that I never had before in my life prior to the work that I've been doing on myself over the last nine years and trusting that regardless of where I'm at, I'm right where I'm supposed to be in my life's journey for my sort of soul's evolution, if you will. You know what I mean? Like I'm where I'm supposed to be learning the lessons that I'm supposed to be learning so that I can become the person that, well, that's a bad way to put it. Um, <laughs> you're, I'm not trying to become anything because, you know, when I say I'm trying to become something, I'm already going away from what I'm saying right now. But you get what I'm saying. You're just, yeah, you're focused on not the end result of becoming something, but on the process. Yeah. And going through every single day, the ups and the downs and just becoming more aware of who you are and how you react to things. And I think that whenever you have practiced enough that when bad things happen to you and you're able to take them and accept those things and also frame them in a way that is a positive way of framing it because everything happens. I think that there's this great quote by Tal Ben-Chahar and it's like, it goes something like this. It's not that everything happens for the best. It's that we make the best of everything that happens to us. And I think that that process is what makes life even better. Right? Yeah. It, just, it gives you so much more capacity to feel and to just have this great experience as a human being instead of just kind of going through on autopilot. Yeah, no, absolutely. I feel that wholeheartedly. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. So a lot of people, I've struggled with this myself actually, is like I lived in Boulder. I had awesome yoga instructors where on a very spiritual level I could connect, but uh -huh. that's actually hard to find and it doesn't exist in every town. And you know, everybody connects with something different. So mm -hmm. like I connect with you, but maybe the next guy doesn't, maybe the next guy needs to connect with somebody else. What would you recommend people do if they can't find a yoga instructor that like they're doing the asanas, but they're just not feeling that emotional connection? Yeah. Like hmm. what can they do on their own? Well, that is a really good question. <laughs> That's hard because I feel like I am a uh... Well, spoiled in Boulder because I, I don't travel much. I've, and so I, I haven't had that problem yet myself. I mm -hmm. feel like everybody that I've come into contact, all my teachers that I come to here are just awesome. So it's I would such say a gem here. It's amazing. it is, it is, you know, I would say, you know, especially if you're new, a home practice is going to be a little bit harder to do, but there's lots of resources out there. I mean, there's videos that you can, like you said, my videos, yoga download, there's books that you can read. Like what are your um, top three favorite books about mindfulness and basically being, working on your journey of accepting where you are? I love the path of the yoga sutras. It's Nikolai Bachman. I love, I love any of the books by Adyashanti. So he's a Zen Buddhist and it's all about sort of the process of enlightenment. And, and let me think, God, you know, a really good book. And it's more, not like, it's more of a, just open the book and read a page, but Meditations from the Mat. This guy, Rolf Gates, who was like an army guy. He was an alcoholic as well. He's just, this awesome yoga teacher and I think the Boston area now, but those types of books, I can't tell you how many books it's hard because I've read so many books. There's lots yeah. of great information out there. Yeah. As far as actual instruction in and out of poses, that's a tough one because if you live somewhere where it's not there, you know, that's kind of what you have going on. But I would say that there are lots of great 
video type resources out there and lots of books that you could start your own home practice. But home practices are require a little more discipline because somebody's not telling you what to do. You're not like, well, maybe I'll check Facebook here real quick. You know, I have checked my phone. Yeah, yeah. See, (laughs) in in a public class, that just doesn't fly. So, but you know, I would say. There's lots of great resources on breath and meditation, all the three that I mentioned, but ultimately it's really simple meditating is if you want to just meditate is to just sit down comfortably, breathe deeply and to the best of your ability, keep your attention on your breath. And so what helps to start is to just count your breath out. So slow your breath down inhale and you're saying this silently in your head to a count of four so as you inhale silently one two three four exhale four three two one and you just keep doing that and when i first started meditating i was so frustrated because i was like how can you pay attention to every one of your that's just it seems like you know, it just boggled my mind that people would sit there and pay attention to each breath that they take. But that's truly the practice. With practice, anything is possible. When I first was like, I got to like pay attention to every breath. I was like, there's no way I can do this. That would be a full-time job. I wouldn't be able to do anything else in my life. But slow and steady incremental progress in your life. And now I can sit as long as I want. I feel like I can sit and just be, well, I don't want to say as long as I want. But <laughs> I can sit for a while now and I can pay attention to my breath. But I, you know, I've been doing it for nine years and that's what I prioritize in my life because I know the profound effects it has when you're able to start doing it. Yeah, it's definitely a practice. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's the thing about, that's why they call it a yoga practice is because we just show up and we practice. We do the best we can on any given day and that's all that we can really do, you know? So that's one of the great things about practice is it's not about being perfect at all because none of us are, you yeah. know? Yeah, I'm just so glad you came to have a chat with me. And yeah. I just think your story is so inspiring of having all these difficulties in your life and being able to turn that around is it's a huge deal because not everybody is able to do that and not only did you do that now you are changing so many people's lives and putting so much positivity and helping so many people with your journey and I think it's really really special and I hope that people if they're in Boulder they come to your classes or they connect with you on yoga download but just finding people in your life that inspire you and surrounding yourself, like we said, with people that lift you up mm-hmm. and also help you figure out who you are and help you be honest with yourself yeah. is so important. So thank you so much for yep. all the amazing energy oh. you put out in the world. Thanks, Sonia. I appreciate it so much. Awesome. And where can people find you? Like, where is a good spot? So, well, my website's robloudyoga.com. And it's a pretty basic website, but it has contact information. You can send me an email from there. It has my Facebook, Instagram links. And then it has my full schedule in Boulder and Denver. So I teach now in both Boulder and Denver, all at the Yoga Pod. But if you go to robloudyoga.com, you can find anything that you need about where I'm at and what I'm doing. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I think like on Facebook, I love, like there's this one 
uh, photo you posted, I actually screenshot it, and it was, I think it was around the election or something. And it was a guy sitting there with both of his middle fingers up, and uh, yeah, totally. he's like, "Take a deep breath and fuck this shit." Yeah, <laughs> I love that totally. One so much. Oh my god, talk yeah. a, talk about traumatic, anyways. <laughs> yeah, that was great. But thanks again, Rob. Yeah, it was you're really welcome. Awesome talking. Anytime, to you. you too, Sonia. That was such an awesome conversation with Rob. I love that guy. I wish I could spend more time with him. I hope you guys enjoyed it too. That wraps it up for this week's podcast. I'm heading home and going back to BC after being gone for about three weeks, and I'm gonna be focused on doing some local races. Over the weekend, I did a race with Catherine Pendrell, which was really fun, and our team name was called The Unicorns. Super funny, and speaking of unicorns, don't forget to pick up a pair of my socks, the Effing Magical Unicorn socks. The link is in the show notes. And thanks so much to everybody who listened to this episode. If you liked it, please leave a review on iTunes. I read them, I love them, it's super helpful. And share it with your friends. The best way to get this podcast out there is word of mouth, and podcasts are just such a fun thing to listen to. I definitely listen to them most when I'm cleaning, driving, or riding my bike, and there's just so many awesome podcasts out there. Thanks again, you guys, and we'll see you back here next week. Wishing you all the best success in your training and your adventures.